I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to this special little bonus ep. Um, it's been a big year for the Matildas, which is arguably the biggest understatement that has ever been uttered on this podcast. But uh, as we approach the end of the year, we thought we couldn't let 2023 go by without actually reminiscing on what the national team has done this year and basically just pick out our top five favourite moments from the year of Tilly's because it was a good year. It was a fun year and a lot of stuff happened. So we are going to put our Tillies hats on and start talking some Tillies. Um, you, you'll see this all later and you'll have a giggle at what I've just done. Um, right now you can't because it's an audio medium. But before we get into it. I think everyone heard it. I think everyone, everyone heard, heard it. it. The whoosh. You put the, the, your the Tilly on that dramatically. I am a drama queen. It is what I do. Um, Before we get into today's top five, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this big nostalgia-filled reminiscing podcast, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian Wilkes, and Sam Lewis. So, friends, I'm going to take the hat off because it is too warm to be wearing a hat, to be perfectly honest with you. Um... We all said that we should do some sort of Tilly's review pod because it just feels like we did a pod every day during that World Cup and yet it still doesn't feel like we talked about this year enough, you know what I mean? Like we have not even begun to digest and fully understand the impact of 2023 and what the Matildas have done in this year. So we're going to attempt to kind of bridge that gap with this review pod. We're going to try and come up with our top five favourite moments um, so that we don't just list, like, five penalties from the France shootout. We're going to break them up into categories so that there's diversity in our answers. Um, So what we're going to try and do is come up with our top five moments. One, a media moment. Two, something from off the pitch. Three, a selection choice. Four, a Women's World Cup game moment and then five a non-women's world cup game moment because we did actually play other games that weren't during the world cup so let's start shall we and we'll start with the media moment now does anyone have suggestions off the bat or things that they think should be our media moment of the year for the matildas Oh, there's so many out there because um, this team really did engage with the media. They engaged with their in-house media, with um, the journos that were along for the ride. They were really good fun. Um, I was saying to you guys off air before, one that stood out in terms of in-house media was when um, uh, they were all obsessed with Nikki Webster's strawberry kisses and it was sort of led by Steph Catley and she's just putting, you know, filling out her panini sticker book and that sort of thing and she's getting asked about it and she goes... Yeah, I, I love strawberry kisses. She talks about why she loves it, and then she goes, "Don't, don't you like it? Well, I don't like you." This <laughs> form <laughs> Tilly's media person behind the camera. <laughs> Just no prisoners taken at all from Steph Catley. Uh, yeah, that I, I like that. We know that they got some awards um, for some of their in-house media, which I think they deserve a bit of credit for. Just really fun stuff that sort of showed their personalities, and that was in the World Cup, pre-World Cup, and after. Um, so I thought that stuff was uh, was pretty fun. Probably an, probably an honorary mention, if anything. I think one for me, like I, I like that Harry, you've just mentioned their social media because I think there were so many wonderful social media moments, and their team does deserve so much credit because those channels were really important in terms of connecting with fans. 
Um, I love the idea of the tiny mic. I've mentioned this in podcasts before. My club has stolen that idea and we're going to be doing tiny mic interviews with our players this season as well. It's so much fun. It's really accessible and it, it really does bring out the personality of the players. But one of the things that I really loved and really appreciated about the Matildas in terms of their media engagement was how during the tournament itself, when they knew that they had the eyes and the ears of the world on them, they used that spotlight to always throw forward. They always advocated. They always talked about pathways, about investment, about development, about funding, about all the things that they have always been advocating and talking about and 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 desperate for, fighting for, through all of their collective bargaining agreements, their strikes, every single thing that they have done as professional athletes in the context of this bigger story, this bigger picture, and wanting to leave a legacy. And I know that legacy has become a very tired phrase, but I, I really deeply admired how all of the Matildas, whenever they had an opportunity to speak to a big forest of microphones, they always used that opportunity wisely. They always used it to talk about the next generation coming through, about how they're just there to borrow the jersey. They don't own the jersey. They're just keeping it warm for this next crop of players to come through. And they really want to make sure that this moment is used in a, um, a productive way, in a way that creates um, long-lasting and sustainable change for future generations. So that was probably my best media moment, is just the way the Matildas advocated for the future over the course of the tournament. I have something a bit more silly than that to suggest. I love TikTok. And I just thought the array of Matildas content we got to see this year, not just from um, the Matildas like in-house media team, but also just like um, the, there's so many to pick from. But Charlie Grant's individual TikTok and the stuff that she does with Kara Cooney Cross is top tier excellent. There was a TikTok where they... I don't know who organized it, but it was the Tillies when they're at camp and they were singing along to You Belong With Me by Taylor Swift. Love that. Um, the like Taylor Swift TikTok intersection. And Sam, I know you wrote um, a piece about how this is kind of like a Taylor Swift moment for the Matildas this year. Um, but I think we knew that we had really made it when the kids started doing uh Taylor Swift Tilly's mashups on TikTok and Sam did a piece about the Taylor Swiftification of the Tilly's that I recommend everyone go read but it it really did feel like a beautiful I, I don't know I love Taylor Swift but it it was just they were so cute there's also like just these these kids I sound like a boomer but like kids online who are obsessed with the Matildas as like in a way where they're kind of like celebrities and it's just something that I haven't really encountered before in the women's football space because I feel like players have always felt um for better or worse like more accessible and um so like idolizing them almost seems a bit off but at the same time this is like a really interesting moment where it's like pointing to how big the Matildas have actually become that like there's folks out there like proper like just fangirling um and I say that with like no disrespect I mean fangirling in the best possible way that fangirling over the Matildas and I think that speaks to like the broader you know moment that we experienced this year but yeah TikTok and also like all the content of people engaging with the Matildas as well in particular I think it really highlighted who was able to come to the party as a result of the World Cup and who was able to, what who re, like the communities that realised that they could engage with sport in a way that um, was good for them and not in kind of like a prescriptive way or a way that they felt that they needed to engage as like kind of modelled in like the men's sports space and that was really beautiful. I'm kind of mainly talking about like uh, a lot of uh, queer uh TikToks about the Matildas and that kind of that kind of niche genre that may have just been my algorithm but I think it was a bit of a trend um and kind of I think speaks to something a bit um deeper going on in kind of the women's football space and and what this World Cup meant so yes TikTok too long didn't read lots of good TikTok content 
I loved it. Uh, that was kind of like my personal media moment. But um, I guess Marissa has the tough job of helping us decide which. No, okay. Marissa does not want to help us decide the top media moment overall. You want me to decide Aaron? something? I'm a liberal. You know this. I just had a couple of other know, suggestions sorry. to throw throw in yeah. just from um, interactions with the media um, in the press conferences. Um, they were both two of the big ones I thought were ahead of the, Can- the Canada game. One was uh, Emily Van Avon stepping in and just like diffusing all the tension or batting it away, which was um, pretty awesome in that pre-match presser. But uh, one that I really loved was um, when, uh, when Brisbane and obviously Sam Kerr had missed the early games and there's so much will she, will she, won't she, will she play, will she be involved, it's sudden death, do or die, yada, yada, backs to the wall. Um, and Sam Kerr was like, if she was ever going to play, it was clearly probably going to be a cameo at best, right, with that calf. Um, but that she took it upon herself, knowing that knowing that everyone was going to be asking about her, you know, if whoever got put up for media ahead of that game with um, with things all on the ropes, stepped up, did the presser, just said, yeah, I'm fit. I can play, and just answered every single question. Hit a couple for six that she maybe didn't like, and um, handled it really well. Um, but actually, my favourite part of the presser was uh, and trying our good friend, friend of the pod, Anne O'Dong, um, trying to have a little dig at having to go to Melbourne and Sam Kerr going, "I like Melbourne." <laughs> One for the true believers from our from our mate Sammy K. But our great friend Anne O'Dong. Um, who has recently won the inaugural Grant Wall Memorial Award. So shows what a quality media operator and person she is. Um, but we do enjoy uh, when our, our friends at the Tillies have some fun with her and uh, especially when it's getting around glorious Melbourne. But yeah, so many great moments uh, with the players media-wise. Um, occasionally they do toe the company line or roll out the cliche, but most of the time they are so engaging, so open and, um, you just think after the quarterfinal against France, the mix one, we've got Mackenzie Arnold just uh, spilling out Courtney Vine in total disbelief. Um, so many great moments through this World Cup. And I think the way, one of the things that, and Sam alluded to it, that really endeared the Matildas to the general public was how open and engaging they, they were. And it's, I think it is a real lesson to a lot of other sports, looking at you in particular, uh, men's sports, that, People want to hear from these personalities. People want to relate. They want to, you know, they know that they're human, the average punter. And I think that was one thing that really got conveyed well with these players. Pre-World Cup, Alana Kennedy being so open about her injury struggles. Like people want to see the, the person behind the player. And I think through all of these examples we talk about, we we did get to see that. Um, and an honourable mention from me to like any media featuring Alana, like the combination of Alana, Caitlin Ford and Maka because they're so funny and it's always hilarious. Um, like there was the recent one where Alana was like, oh, why didn't you join us for the team photo? Maka, Maka was like, well, I was actually just like focusing on the game. I'm like, you guys, obviously. So, and it was, it's just very funny. It's good stuff. It's, we've alluded to that content in this discussion, but that's that's what we're talking about. Like they're funny and they're engaging. And yeah, we really got to see that this year. Angela, you mentioned in our little rundown, Ellie Carpenter basically saying, do what you want to get us over the line in Melbourne. Get us a bit, get a bit feral as a crowd. Flares, why not? Um, fun, yes. Hostile environment, go for it. Like, I loved when they all sort of got on board this. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed the players sort of in multiple games as well in Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne, really just encouraging the crowd to get a little bit, just a little bit feral. Um, I think everyone loved that. So many good moments. There really were. I'm really glad you guys have mentioned it repeatedly, repeatedly, but just especially those of us who were lucky enough to follow the Tillies, their senses of humour, they all, many of them have just extremely dry senses of humour. And I think back to one press conference in Brisbane with Mackenzie Arnold where um, everyone latched on to the fact that they played Shania Twain's uh, the Shania Twain song before training and all of the media started asking questions and she's like Geez, do you guys want my Spotify or something because there was just endless questions about the music um, and just their 
they're very funny. Mary Fowler, we were talking about it just pre-record, um, with the France friendly before the World Cup started, she sat down at the desk before a press conference and it's this huge thing, giant advertising uh, hoardings behind her and she's like, wow, I feel like the president. And it's just, it you, like, say what you want about parasocial relationships, but I look at those girlies and I hear them and I see them and I'm like, my friends, the Matildas, my friend Mary was sitting at a big desk and she thought she was the president. Like they're just, they're so easy to love. And the way that they've gone about it with media this year has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, Yeah. I think just taking a step back to talk about the media coverage in general is also maybe worth mentioning. Like I remember having a a conversation with a friend um, and, and saying to them, the way that the Matildas just had wall-to-wall coverage for that entire month of the World Cup, it was all over websites, television, radio, social media, podcasts. I, I said to a friend, this is kind of how it feels to be a fan of men's sport where you don't have to go hunting for information. You don't have to go and track down the the career stories of players you don't have to go and figure out who these people are because it's right there in front of you already that was what was so um amazing to me you know I I never I always dreamed that we would sort of reach a point where we would have that but for it to happen kind of so soon was a bit it came as a bit of a shock and maybe one of the best um kind of uh, symbols of that is a friend of the pod, Vince Rugari, said to me that one of the ways in which they've sort of been able to track the popularity of the Matildas, particularly over the course of the World Cup, was that uh, their headline writers at the the Sydney Morning Herald or Fairfax no longer had to use the words Matildas star before they said Mary Fowler, Alana Kennedy, you know, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Steph Catley, because everyone already knows their names. Everyone knows that they're Matilda's stars. They already know what they do and and how important they are. We no longer sort of have to couch or cushion the players in in these kinds of um, vocabularies or with this language to try and get people interested because people are finally interested. And so that was what, like, the, the big takeaway from the tournament for me was, like, this is what happens when when all when we all pull in the same direction. And when media across the the the, the sort of spectrum um, in Australia all pays attention to the one thing, and we all are able to look at this one thing through very similar kinds of lenses, as we get this extraordinary explosion of interest, um, and it was really proof of concept that you know, again, it's a cliche, but if you build it, people will come. Uh, just one last honourable mention from me. Really sorry. Uh, we work for Disney, so uh, there was a whole last documentary about the Matildas that came out this year. Um, yeah. So that was a that was a pretty significant media moment because I can only imagine like the success of its actual release date before the World Cup was huge. So I can only imagine post tournament um, when people were just scrambling for more Tilly's content. That doco must have been viewed a bajillion times so also the fact that the Tillies were warranted worthy of a documentary massive media moment so that is a an honorable mention as well really quickly my superior at my sports administration job came to my desk while I was at work one day and was like recommended the documentary to me and I was like sir (laughs) I am aware of the documentary thank you uh have you heard of my podcast that I'm on. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the one. Anyway, that was funny. Okay, we've done a lot of honourable mentions. We've talked we've talked way too much about this. For me, I think it is the TikTokification of the Tillies because that transcends everything. To be like, as much as we are a bunch of kind of traditional media people, kind of creeping into digital spaces the tiktokification of the tillies i cry every time i see a long live edit or a you're on your own kid edit to just like pictures and vision of the tillies throughout the world cup so for me i think that is my moment of the year my media moment of the year for the tillies no objections nice one um i was really ready to fight you guys about that um let's move on to second category off the pitch I am going to start with my, like, the thing that I will simply, like, tell my 
grandchildren or whoever has to like wheel me around a nursing home in a few years. Um, the vision from Fed Square when Sam Kerr scores the goal, the crowd, the noise, the <gasps> and then the yell, the just ecstasy, the absolute explosion. To me, there is simply nothing that any of you can say that will make me change my mind that that was the best off-the-pitch moment <laughs> for the Chilies this year. But you can you can attempt to dissuade me if you want to. Okay, I I'll I'll sort of riff on on the theme there, Marissa. So my uh, my entry into this category is also related to a group of people watching a particular moment, and it is probably as off the pitch as you can possibly get. And that was when there was a flight of people who had the uh, televisions on the backs of their seats tuned into the penalty shootout against France and seeing the reaction of that flight of people, tens of thousands of kilometres in the air. I don't know how flight works. I'm sure there are, I don't know, some kind of number up there. Uh, all of them screaming uh, in celebration when Courtney Vine scored the winning penalty. Um, or every single set, like the, it was part of this big collective moment, right? Like, for, but for some reason, you know, we had the, the the vision and the footage of all the watch parties outside the stadiums and in pubs and in bars. But for some reason, it was the people on the flight that really captured me. I don't really know why. It was, it was just maybe it's the kind of the metaphor of, you know, the, the of being away from home and how national teams and and football can can give you this sense of home and community and bringing people together, even though they're scattered around all ten thousand corners of the globe. We're still all united by this one national team, and and we're, we're all sort of experiencing this one moment of connection and elation together in in the France game um yeah that 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 the video of that flight and and those people reacting to to the shootout win was yeah that was probably one of the most memorable pieces of footage of anything that I saw in the whole tournament I think uh the the flight moment was um a big one for me and how it will stay in my mind um but Honourable mention to people who got Tilly's tattoos <laughs> this year. Yes. Um, I guess it's not really related to the team itself, but um, I I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed seeing that on socials. Um, there were a few friends of the pod who got Shoot Farkin, um, which, uh, for those who don't know, Marissa got a Shoot Farkin tat after the Socceroos made the quarterfinals at the World Cup last year the men's world cup um so we love a silly chat sam i know that you have since gotten a, a permanent motif um have. if i've missed anyone i'm really sorry i'm playing i'm planning to get something but i take forever to do anything so <laughs> r.i.p to the elusive kit pod um but yeah i tilly statues that i think I, I that's a i keep that close to my heart those close to my heart sorry Harrow, any off the pitch moments that spoke to you deeply? Hang on. What have we what have we had? Sorry that I've missed because I was on the phone. I said I heard, fed, the first one, Sam Kerr. Yeah, fed fed <laughs> Angela said Tilly's tattoos. Um Oh yes. And Sam, what the fuck did you say? The people in the plane, the people in the plane watching the the shootout and everyone's favourite mate watching Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Man, that was so good. Oh, but that that's so right! Good. I didn't even mention the Lord of the Rings guy. <laughs> the guy watching Lord of the Rings is so good. The one guy, it's so funny. Oh my god, man, it's pretty tough to top either of those two. Um, off the bat, I think I think the best ones might have been nicked. I'm just trying to think what else. Um, uh, um. Sorry, you can steal the him. second the backup one that I had, Harrow, which Angela actually uh, triggered my memory, which was the kits. Some of the kits were just glorious. Like across the World Cup. Yeah. Um, that's true. Um, and how iconic the teal kit became after the Canada game. I don't know. That's just an idea. Oh, on that, the recent Sam Kerr photo shoot. 
I was going to say the photo, some some of the like the photo shoots that we've had of the Tillies post World Cup as well because some of them have been absolute fire like the Sam Kerr one where she's wearing like do, almost like a watch advert and she's like posing and she's got the big jacket on all that sort of stuff but some of them have been absolutely insane like remember the Courtney Vine one where she had to dress up for the races like, yes someone someone needs to go to jail for this I don't know who but decisions have been made which should not have been made. Oh man, there were some so, excellent I, ones in Vogue and GQ as well, like pre-tournament. Like I just remember, I think it was Steph Catley in like a red leather skirt, and I'm like, yes, with, paired with mm. the teal kit. I'm like, yes, fashion. Nah, and speaking it. of speaking of like moments, how about uh, Steph Catley, St Albans local, <laughs> was up there, yeah. where she Huge just got me. interviewed on like daytime me. TV. Just got interviewed on daytime TV in the UK. <laughs> it's just like a local. Um, and then everyone here was losing their mind. I think, yeah, I, I just think it was the whole wave of momentum, the way that um, just t- like T-shirts sprung up, random bits of merch. There's the Mackenzie Arnold T-shirts. There's, as you guys have just sort of mentioned, we can keep that in, I reckon, all the different photo shoots that have popped up, the commercial opportunities that players got. Like it just went next level it felt like everyone sort of sort of wanted a piece of it all of these things are good except for the signs they they should stay in 2023 and be binned um but like the signs sorry asking for players kit boots any sort of personal items anything um they can be binned but on the whole just the way uh yeah uh, it was just more of the way everyone got around things. Sorry, this isn't as good. Like, clearly the winner is going to be one of the other two. Like, it's going to be the plane or it's going to be the <laughs> or it's going to be the Fed Square losing its mind when um, um when Sam Kerr's goal went in. I just, yeah, I, I just felt like generally the live sites all over the place were just mental. Yeah. Like, people couldn't get in anywhere. Um, for me, I think it was the way that these live sites is different to the to the men's world cup and a lot of them were football fans and went because you know it'd been a thing that had been done before but a lot of the different live sites around the country ones that got you know the fed squares but also the ones that were deliberately set up by fifa and fa and that and then also just pubs getting booked out no one could get a seat at any pub if when the patillies were playing like places went packed and the amount of people also um and we've talked about this before that could see themselves in this team that would never ever think of getting a pub reservation or going out and sitting um, in the cold outside somewhere to watch a sporting team play. Like the amount of people I know, like partners of people, friends of people, family members, friends that aren't necessarily interested in sport. And they weren't even, you know, Tilly's fans before this, but uh, like now, like just obsessed with everything they do. They, they just became like huge Mary Fowler fans or Courtney Vine fans, you know, sort of everyone knew, knew Sam Kerr before, but, you know, like the average punter being like, yeah, actually, I'm really big on Caitlin Ford. I, I think she plays the best. Like, like the way people just sort of got captivated in their own way, um, and especially for audiences that maybe don't always necessarily feel welcome or safe or even just don't enjoy sports. They're not sporty people that got around it. I just think was amazing. Um, just next level. Like, it was, it was just so good. And I think all those moments sort of um, encapsulate that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I I think I think we can come to a, a compromise, but I have two really quick honourable mentions that just farted into my head. Sam Kerr doing karaoke with Nikki Webster at the um, the handing of the keys of Brisbane to the Matildas, and like the, the Matildas on. wearing sunglasses. They are not in a good way, but you best believe they are going to sing Strawberry Kisses with the Nikki Webster. Um, so that little karaoke moment, sensational. Um, and kind of related to something you were just talking about, Harrow, the fact that Courtney Vine made it into the AFL grand final opening ad. Like, 
Imagine having the star power to infiltrate your way into the AFL men's grand final. Like, maybe this is too Victorian for those of you south, uh, north of the Barassi line, but, like, I don't think we can overstate the, like, cultural cut through that not only was Courtney Vine, like, selected and, you know, um, deemed important enough and noteworthy enough to like make it into an AFL ad on their biggest day of the season and you had you know someone like Patrick Dangerfield quoting the commentary from when she scored her penalty like that was huge that was a an enormous deal in terms of just how far the star had risen for the Tillies in this country because you would not have gotten the AFL touching soccer with a 30-foot pole before this. Um, So those were my two kind of honourable mentions, but I think the compromise is everywhere that people watch these games that was not a traditional viewing space, whether that be in Fed Square, in the air, in your best friend best friend's lounge room because this is the first time you've ever watched a World Cup together and you were having an awesome time. People on the concourses of footy grounds watching it on tiny little screens because they were no longer showing it on the big screens actually in the stadium proper. Like anywhere you watch this game that was not strictly traditional, I reckon that's the uh, the moment to go for. Um, but let's move on to category three, selections. Uh Angela, I'm pretty sure you said this one is a a given. There is no competition here. So would you like to explain the selection? Or the best selection, rather, is how I should phrase it. I suggested this category so you could talk about it, to be honest. But uh, selection, I mean, we can discuss as well, honourable mentions, but I feel like uh, the clunt being a Tilly, that was a big thing this year. And Marissa, you're much better at the stats and the dates and that kind of thing. So I feel like I should hand back to you to give the context there as to why this she was so special in this in this you, Tilly team and in, in their campaign this year. For first time listeners, do you want to just uh, explain what the clock oh, is? Claire Hunt. Angela. Claire Hunt. <laughs> I'll send you back Claire Hunt. We are not calling her um, extremely rude names. We are not. We are not. It's like, a word of endearment. We're not dropping profanity on Claire Hunt's name. We are just silly geese. Um, but yes. yeah, um, Claire Hunt. Oh my god! So I got to talk to her like the media day when the squad was announced, and I just remember you talk to her and she just flicks a switch and she's the ultimate professional. But I remember like asking her like, so how's your 2023 been? And this was in like June, early July, late June. I'm like, how's your 2023 been? She's like, oh, you know, it's been pretty all right. It's been pretty good. Um, And to be fair, yeah, she's had a pretty bloody good 2023. She only debuted in February. She had bought tickets to the World Cup as a fan because that's how far away she was in her mind from this Matilda's squad. The Tillies ended up playing 18 games this year and she finished the year with 16 caps. So she's played 16 out of 18 games for the Matildas after literally this time last year not even being a fringe Matilda. So I like... Nothing rules more than the ascent of Claire Hunt into our hearts and into our backline. I think also there needs to be an honourable mention. I'd, like no one here is going to disagree with the Clunt. I think the Clunt has been extraordinary and the fact that she's now at PSG, one of the best, biggest clubs in the world, is testament to, to her rise. But honourable mention really, really has to go to Mackenzie Arnold because yes. Macca was really tumbling down that ladder really only last year. You know, we all remember some of the shockers that she had in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the third choice goalkeeper there for quite a long time. And I don't even think she really anticipated how much she would improve. A lot of people forget that earlier this year, she won player of the tournament when the Matildas won the Cup of Nations here on home soil. Um, they didn't concede a goal. She was extraordinary. And then obviously she goes and does what she did in the World Cup proper, including in that unbelievable penalty shootout. So yeah, Mackenzie Arnold on and off the field has just like blossomed and become this player and this human being 
um, who I don't think any of us really expected her to become. So serious, serious kudos to her. And uh, just got nominated for the FIFA Best Goalkeeper um, this morning or overnight, um, which just shows how well she's gone. I think, Sam, it's the advocacy that she's had for people who are hard of hearing or have hearing issues to actually open yeah. up and talk about getting hearing aids and the impact in her life and sort of how that's timed with, with her own rise and talking about her own struggles on the field, off the field. She's She's been really great. And for someone who, you know, second, third goalkeeper's bar, probably doing a bit of stuff with Brisbane Raw, she'd barely done any media and she's sort of been thrust into the spotlight over the past year and really, really shone, been really great, candid, um, very entertaining as well when uh, she's in these moments, like, you know, after her, the, her penalty shootout heroics, um, she was really great talking about that stuff. I, I have another honourable mention, which is the way um, when Sam Kerr went down, uh, Mary Fowler um, and Emily Van Egmond slotted into the, the false nine rolls to actually get that attack firing. The Canada game is the one you think about, of course. Um, yeah, th- that's the one that you think about, the way they managed to create. Mary Fowler's ball to Caitlin Ford against Denmark, like, fantastic. Um and to just add on to the Claire Hunt one, Alana Kennedy is actually probably deserves a special mention as well because like months out, it was real question marks over whether she'd be right to go at all, having dealt with all those injuries. And as much as we talk about the brilliance of Claire Hunt, it was very clear when Alana Kennedy went out for those final two games and Claire Polkinon came in, how big a difference of fit, firing, confident Alana Kennedy makes to the Matildas because she is just superb. And if you listen to our most recent part of the Canada series, you would have heard us wax lyrical about how good she is. Um, and, yeah, it was fantastic to see her come into her own. And, uh, yeah, she, she actually probably deserved a brief mention in the media section for where <laughs> I remember asking her pre-selection about, you know, what she made of the Claire Hunt, Claire Hunt's rise. You know, you could easily be worried about your own spot. And apparently she said that the first thing she said to Claire Hunt when she came into camp was, where have you been? <laughs> so... <laughs> Like, which just sums up um, the type of person that Alana Kennedy is. Um, so, yeah, there's like there was actually a few good little selection nuggets in there, but, you know, we're not going to go past Claire Hunt, are we? we? We can't. I do want to mention one just really quickly. It's not so much the selection, like, itself being a surprise. Um, it's Steph Catley's selection as vice-captain, which obviously didn't happen this year, but then her leadership this year, I feel, has gone so under the radar. Because you can you imagine her, like, 24 hours from, like, July 19 to July 20, where she all mm. of a sudden learns she's going to be wearing the captain's armband. She's going to lead the country out into the home opener of the Home World Cup in front of, what, 75,000 people, um, and then takes the penalty, dispatches it, like unhunches everyone's shoulders with that action and just the way she led the team in Sam Kerr's absence I fear I feel is like not spoken about enough because I think we maybe underestimate just how big of a job it was and how well she did it and how easy and like smaller tasks she made it seem just because she's so good at being a leader so I just wanted to give Steph Catley some flowers because I feel like she absolutely deserves it for what she did particularly in that first half of the tournament because I can't imagine being basically like you're always on the side of Sam Kerr as the vice captain and then all of a sudden it's like opening night center stage you're pushed right into the center like uh, I would have crumbled and Steph Catley did not and Thank God for that because um, it was incredible. But, yeah, I think realistically we could have done honourable mentions to all 23 of the the eventual World Cup squad because they were absolutely absolutely phenomenal. But it is definitely Claire Hunt. Um, what a woman. What a woman. God love her. Um, number four, the Women's World Cup moment of the year. Um, that's the thing. We could get so specific um, we could, like, I always joke that, you know, there were 10 penalties. We could go penalty by penalty and, like, select one of those. Um, but, yeah, I, well, actually, I suppose the question is, is it Sam Kerr's goal or is it the shootout or is that a dumb question? It's the shootout. It's the shootout. <laughs> it's got to be the shootout. It's Maybe Harry will disagree with me. But, okay, no, the reason why I say Vincent this just is disagrees. because... Vincho oh, just, just has bias. Vincho has to agree with, with, with his mum. 
I um, think you'll find okay. he does not ever agree with me on anything. <laughs> okay, here are my arguments for the France game over the Sam Kerr goal. Coming into the France game, the context of that game was that we had never gotten past that stage in a Women's World Cup ever before. It became a, a very tense game by virtue of the fact that we had only slightly beaten France in the pre-World Cup friendly, only 1-0, um, which was also without some of its biggest stars deliberately. I remember Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford were taken off and that's when the goal was scored. So there was, a, there was a little bit of sort of bubbling tension beneath this game. France obviously had performed much better in the World Cup than they did in their pre-World Cup friendlies, and we were able to see that. And so coming to this intersection of, of these two colliding paths, also because France in 2019, as the hosts, didn't get as far as they wanted to. There was pressure on them to go further than they had before. They had a new coach. It was sort of the last hurrah, potentially, of a number of senior players as well. There was a lot riding on this game for France, as much as there was for the Matildas. The game itself happened. It was tense. It was back and forth. There were periods of dominance, periods of defence. It felt like it went forever. And then the shootout started. And the shootout was not only the longest ever penalty shootout in the history of a World Cup, it almost felt like its own game. It almost felt like another 90 minutes of drama, of narrative, of stories, of characters, of wins and losses. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the clunt missing hers. I'm thinking about Mackenzie Arnold hitting the post before stepping back into the goal and saving another. I'm thinking about the retaken penalty. I'm thinking about all these other bits and pieces that happened in the space of that first and last penalty shots. And then there was the Courtney Vine penalty. There was the penalty that the whole country was holding its breath to watch. The whole country. We talked about it in the in the off the field section, right? Like that was the moment that stopped the country. It stopped the world in a lot of ways. The world had caught on to this game that was happening. And so, so many people were tuned in and holding their breaths to see what was going to happen. And I have spoken about this to a number of people. I've never heard noise like what I did in that stadium in Brisbane when Courtney Vine scored. I have never felt a stadium rumble like that. I have never felt such relief and such overwhelming joy. I've never experienced all of those things as a human being in football or in sport, really. It was, it, it, and that's the reason why the tattoo that I got is a, is a snapshot of the photo that was taken of the Matildas celebrating the half second after Courtney Vine scored. That famous photo that has already won a bunch of awards of the line of Matildas standing on the halfway line celebrating. That moment for me defined the tournament. It, it completely encapsulated what the Matildas are and what they have done for football and for women in sport and for so many other things in that one particular moment and in that one particular game. So the France game and the penalty shootout is galaxies away from any other nomination for me. Uh, my one technicality will be, I don't think you can call the whole game a moment. I think you have to call the Courtney Vine penalty the moment. Oh, boo. <laughs> I think you can say the game <laughs> is the most significant. I, I, I agree with you on everything you have said there, Sam. Um, I think the only moment that can, and I will say it because it is clearly, I think the second best moment is, and Marissa told it better than anyone, is the moment when Sam Kerr's goal against England ripples the back of the net. And if there was euphoria after the, the Courtney Vile one, just the way the place exploded, like it was, it was its own moment in a totally different way just because there was so much pressure on Sam Kerr leading into that tournament. She couldn't get on the park for, let's be honest, the opening four games, um, really. Like she played a little bit against Denmark, but the way that she never, it felt like she was never going to get to have her moment at the tournament that was meant to be her tournament. I know it kind of became Aitana Bonmati's tournament, but Sam never really got a crack at it. Um, I think that moment was so special because everyone rode that. As much as everyone watched the Courtney Vine shootout, more people watched the semi-final. More people were riding that. And it loses it loses a level of significance as a moment because obviously the Matildas don't win. They concede minutes later. It ends up just becoming a moment. 
I think. And that's maybe what was so special about it. It was that one little moment where everyone believed. I think that was the moment where everyone went, hang on a minute. Even if they were only able to live it for about eight minutes, everyone went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sam Kerr has just scored this extraordinary goal. Uh, like, inside her own half, she's taken on two defenders. She plays with at club level. And she's chipped Mary Earps, who'd been in this extraordinary form. It was, like, one of the great goals of the World Cup. And had it gone on to you know, the Matildas have won, it would have been, I think, the moment, maybe even more so than the penalty shootout. But unfortunately, you have to look at all this in context, right? Um, I think when you judge the two of them, it you can't take the whole of that France game into consideration like that. I think you've got to look at the shootout. like versus. But you, it's impossible to actually put the curl one ahead, I think, because of everything that surrounded it. As you say, Sam, everyone yeah. rode that, that penalty shootout. When Courtney Vine scores... Everyone erupts. Everything's possible. Um, and everyone got to live in that moment for a bit longer because I've obviously have a few days until the next game and it built the hype and it built the momentum and everyone could believe. Whereas the Sam Kerr one was just a moment within a game rather than the moment at the end of the game. So obviously things turned a different way. Um, but yeah, I, it was weird because I feel like the penalty shootout and that France game were sort of moments within moments within a game. I think probably the defining moment of that shootout is, of course, Courtney Vine scoring the winning one. Um, whereas I think the Sam Kerr goal is its own moment, if that makes sense. Like the the court, like you can pick so many from the France game that it's almost unfair to compare the two because just one has so many things that stack up. You have the the denied Mary Fowler goal. You have um, we also forget, you know, Alana Kennedy's little shirt bullet at the start. What could have happened there? You have. The chances, the mischances, the saves, the Sam Kerr stepping up to score her penalty. Ellie Carpenter looking like she didn't know, like she scored this banger of a penalty. And I don't know how much she knew about it, um, as opposed to the Mary Fowler one where it looked like she'd been doing it her whole life, right? Like we, we talk about all these, but to get my point across, there's so many moments there and they kind of add up into one big thing. Um, the moment per se is, is Courtney Vine burying it, finally. The, like I, I've... I just felt like the longest moment in the history of my like my whole life. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think it, it's hard to be, I, I just don't think there's, there's two clear moments from this world cup that, that probably stand out. And, and they're the two, there's the Sam Kerr goal, but yeah, it, it's hard to go past what the, the brevity of the, the Courtney Vine pen. I think the Courtney Vine moment uh, speaks to the team. Um, whereas like the Kerr goal speaks to like her and, like her yeah her as a player and her the individual brilliance that she has and I will say that one the Kerr moment yeah it just felt so they were both such intensely emotional experiences but the Kerr goal was I don't like I I lost my mind in a different way and I will say it lives on because I cracked my phone screen with the Kerr goal, um, which a miracle that my phone had managed to get to that point in the World Cup in its in its entire <laughs> lifespan without having a cracked screen yet. But that was the thing that, um, yeah, I threw it somewhere and I had to retrieve Anyway, but like that Kerr goal was just like there was so much hope. I don't know. And it was just I will never forget like my perspective and seeing that goal from the other goal end in the stadium and watching that run and just like the experience of being like, Oh my God, she's, she's going to do it. She's and the feeling like, okay, well we could actually do this. And that's also been nice in the sense that we could do it again. Like sure. It didn't work out for the Matildas the rest of that game, but in like, that was a, it was convincing enough that it was possible that we could come back. Um, sad that we didn't, but you know, it's what it is. But um, yeah, I, that's how I kind of yeah. Kerr is a Kerr is a player, and her her moment in the sun, I guess. And then Vine's penalty was not just about Vine. Like it was just yeah, as we've discussed, a summation of so much stuff that had happened in the the Babushka doll of that quarterfinal. Kerr's goal is 
August to live for the hope of it all and Vine's penalty is long live. I had the time of my life with you um, for the Taylor Swift fans among us. The other thing that Vine's penalty has over Kerr's goal is firstly Ellie Carpenter's face pointing the memification of Ellie Carpenter specifically after the penalty shootout and the full range of human emotion that she was able to display in mere seconds. Stunning. Incredible. When I tweeted, like, asking for suggestions, basically everyone said Ellie Carpenter's face, like, fuck Courtney Vine's penalty, Ellie Carpenter's face specifically. Um, And on a much more selfish note... Uh, the Courtney Vine penalty meant that when we were done and we were down in the mix zone, I got to hug Anna and Sam and it was like the best moment of my life that I got to hug you two and that we got to do this together. Um, yeah. So I love you guys and shit, but it's not a, not a big deal. Um, yes, I agree. It's it's Vine's penalty followed very, very closely by uh, Kerr's gold for the reasons already explained. Um, finally, moment number five, the non-Women's World Cup moment of the year because as we've like as much as we have talked about the world cup that was only seven games in the 18 games that were played in 2023 so what stood out maybe it doesn't have the same level of significance as the moments that were in the world cup because obviously how can you compare a friendly with you know a world cup semi-final a world cup quarterfinal but what were the moments that really kind of grabbed us even if it was you know like up until that point nothing felt better than x moment if that makes sense mary fellas masterclass gets the philippines <laughs> that was pretty sick um yeah it was just i think i really enjoyed that game because the first um olympic qualifier against iran um australia's like lacked imagination they're struggling to break down a really disciplined and you know, hard work around defence and struggling to create, like had to really force the issue to, to get through and get a win. Um, but, yeah, Philippines unfortunately made the mistake of attempting to go toe-to-toe with the Tillies and uh, it, it did it did not pay off. Um, it was – I just really enjoyed watching that game. I, it was – you know, we've seen so much counter-attacking play from the Tillies. That was their hallmark at the World Cup. And I know that this year ended on a sound note with those friendlies in Canada – but um, I think when you watched them play um, that game against the Philippines, it, you just go, oh, this is the potential they have to just tear teams apart. And I think it, I, I really like that game because it made you go, what level can they get to if they can advance their game further, if more players can step up, if we can see some new things. Um, I, I liked in that Olympic series as well, we saw like a Claire Wheeler step up. I, I love when players are resilient and they respond to setbacks. Amy Sayer as well, I think, had an assist in that one. Um, there was so many like little moments this game. It was it was just dominant. Like it, And it was just something completely different. Uh, they had possession of the ball. They really played with it. They weren't just sitting back and hitting on the counter. That was one, that, one of the moments I, I really enjoyed. And maybe just because it was also you had like that 60,000 people in Optus Stadium, you know, they had Sam Kerr back home and it was just that little reminder that it wasn't just a bubble. Like it wasn't just people got around this World Cup. Like, nah, <laughs> the Tillies are a juggernaut and they're only getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I'm going to be fascinated to see where this um, final Olympic qualifier against Uzbekistan gets played um, given ground availability issues, yada, yada, because everyone's going to want a piece of this. Uh, I, I just kind of like, it was a nice little reminder that just how big this team is and yeah, how exciting they're going to be. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think I'm going to throw back to the start of the year and talk about the Cup of Nations because I... Even though it was a a friendly tournament, it wasn't like a competitive thing. It doesn't really affect anything. I feel like that was a really important moment in terms of priming the country for what we were about to experience. 
Like, yes, most of the games were played in smaller stadiums in front of smaller crowds. It didn't really have the same media hype. It didn't really have, you know, any of the stuff that started to really accelerate. But I think that was the the moment where we started to really understand what the Matildas were going to look like four or five months down the line. Um, And I'm particularly thinking back in hindsight through the lens of the World Cup to that game against Spain because Spain obviously went on to win it. And we beat them 3-2 in that tournament. Yes, they were missing some of their biggest players, but a lot of the players who were on that pitch that day ended up playing in the World Cup a lot. A lot of them ended up doing really well in the World Cup. You know, a lot of them ended up scoring. So to have a moment like that, that we can now reflect back on and be like, wow, we actually are as good as the best. We can be as good as the best. That's. I feel like that's a kind of, it's a realization that we've always kind of wanted to have about ourselves as a women's football country, that we can compete with the best. And I I think this year has really proved that we can, if we have all the pieces right, if we have the right squad, if we have the right coach, if we have the right preparation, and if we have the right resourcing and staff around them, we actually can compete with the best in the world. We can be the best in the world. And that gives me a lot of hope because a lot of what we've seen from the Matildas and their rise, especially over the past two years, has really not necessarily been about the players. It's been about supporting the players. It's been about the stuff that you put around talent. And as we've seen in this Matildas team and in young Matildas teams coming through, we have a lot of talent. And so I think this year in particular was really important in terms of proving to ourselves that if we put the right structures and cultures and support systems around talent, we can actually be the best in the world. So the Cup of Nations for me was was a really great starting point in terms of that belief, growing that belief in ourselves. Winning the tournament was awesome. Um, scoring the goals that we did was awesome. Having someone like Mackenzie Arnold being spotlighted for her performances was awesome. Um, and just really starting to get the country wrapped around this team I think that was what that that tournament did and it it really barreled onwards into you know the next couple of friendlies which I'm sure Angela is going to mention in a second and then into the World Cup proper and we've already seen you know the the legacy that all that all that has started to leave. I was gonna say the the Spain win I feel like has uh gotten better with time uh what's what's the word aged well fermentation but Aged, it was fermentation, I guess. Yeah, like a fine wine. (laughs) That's right. A a fine wine. Uh, In terms of the fact that I feel like that that win and the loss um, in 2022 as well kind of was presented in the context of like, oh, well, this isn't Spain's strongest side. And I think it needs to be acknowledged that like yeah they were missing um for that for cup of nations so Bomati uh and Batil are like two of the big ones that come to mind but like in terms of the team that made it to the world cup and went all the way through the world cup and won the world cup it's still there's a lot of names that we played against and I think that's proves proves a point it's proved a bigger point for Spain obviously because they were able to do it and they were the ones who are directly being, you know, this is the B side or whatever. This isn't their strongest side. So credit to all of those players who are like, actually, we're the best in the world. Doesn't matter that we're missing um, X, X, Y, Z. But also the fact that for like in the context of Matilda's playing against them, that it, it's like a really good thing to point to and be like, see, they're, they're really fucking good and we beat them. So shut up. Um and the same in the context of losing as well. Like they're really fucking good. And our, like a group of children lost to them. Like, anyway, um, I would say I like, in terms of just like pure vibes, like beating England was great. Yeah. That was 100%. fun. Just the game. And the funny, it was funny. Great. It was so funny. Like 29% possession was what Australia had. They had less shots. Um, the goals, like one is Leah Williamson making a mistake and Sam Kerr, you know, chipping a forlorn Mary Earps. Always funny. Um, 
And the Charlie Grant goal was like one of the most wholesome things that you'll ever see, right? Like the celebration. I feel like people back home here could hear her going, yeah, <laughs> she scored it. Um, and it was a really nice uh, like leaping header as well that like you wouldn't have picked her to, to score. And I think that was maybe the moment as well people started to believe a little bit. Like they took it up to England on their turf and went and did the thing. Like it was awesome. Like it was so much fun. Like... It was it was really great. Like it was a moment where people could actually really enjoy it and make the most of it, and um, yeah, actually start to believe. I think Sammy talked about the Cup of Nations starting to instill that belief in people. I think people really, really started to believe after the England game. I know we had the France friendly closer to the World Cup, but beating England, who'd won the Euros, doing it on home soil, ending their big winning streak, um, like so many good things about that result. And it was a weird one as well, remember, because as much as I said they had 29% possession, the game felt entirely played on Australia's terms as well. And I think that was what was so sick about it. Like, it, they didn't ever feel like they were losing that game. And it was, yeah, it was just so much fun. Like, friendly should should be fun. Let's not talk about the recent Canada series. Let's talk about games like that England one because it was, yeah, it was awesome. Good crowd, good vibes, Sam Kerr scores. Nice moment from Charlie Grant, like, and beating England was just awesome as well, right? Like, it it was just so good. The vibes was the vibes were so good. Good times never seem so good. Remember that was our pod title. I remember we had friend of the pod Sophie Lawson on after that, and she wrote, you know, on a piece of paper that the oh, Tuileries yeah. are going to win the World <laughs> Cup and everything. And we were all like, you know what? If Sophie's saying it, maybe I believe it. And I did, like, I really do. Also, because obviously those games were played in Europe, so we're all awake in the middle of the night doing our shit posting in the middle of the night, and it was like. I don't know if this is sleep deprivation or what, but you came away from that result being like, are we good? Are we going to do something at the World Cup? Like, am I feeling positive about the Matildas' chances at this World Cup? This is bizarre. I don't like it. Um, But that was, it was such a, it was a huge turning point. And I think it was, like now with the benefit of hindsight, that was the game that I would circle as like, that is when all of a sudden it was like, oh, things might work out better than we ever dreamed they would, to be perfectly honest. Also, the celebration for Charlie Grant's goal, I will simply never forget, was then on a billboard uh, over a freeway on my commute to work. And I remember the first day I drove into work while that was hanging up, I was just like, oh, my Tillies in my Melbourne on my freeways? Like, this is the best. I love this. And I, I got to tell Charlie Grant about that in an interview I did with her. So um, that meant a lot to me as well. But yeah, I think even, you know, just honourable mention, almost 100,000 100, people in Perth for the Olympic qualifiers at the end of this year. Insane yeah. numbers. Insane numbers. So good. The France friendly right before the World Cup was unbelievable. Cup of Nations was so much fun. But, yeah, I think for me it is. It's the England game just for the the intangibles it represented um, as much as the actual win itself. Um I can only assume we've missed something because so much happened this year. Um, so feel free to add us at the Far Post Pod uh, to let us know what we have forgotten. We're genuinely sorry. We're not forgetting things on purpose. It's just a lot of content happened this year. But, um, yeah, we can't wait to talk more Tillies in 2024. Hopefully there will be Olympic episodes. We know that there's definitely going to be Olympic qualifiers episodes, plenty of friendlies. So, um yeah, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for letting us talk Tillies with you all because it's been the most fun this year, genuinely the most fun. So thank you. We're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app as well as Spotify and Apple and all of your usual pod spots. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you like what we're doing. Like I said, if you want to yell at us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. Sam has final things to say. Just wanted to add an honourable mention to the last category of mm-hmm. non-World Cup, but also World Cup stuff as well, mm. was like being able to do this whole year with you guys. Oh, like sure. we've, oh. you know, like we've, we've we've done we've done this podcast for a couple of years now, and I think this year was really extraordinary in terms of so much of the stuff that we have always wanted coming true. 
and being able to sit here and talk about it and go through it and ask the questions and get excited and process it and analyze it with you folks has been one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. You know, like you're one of the real reasons why I wanted to be a journalist was sitting around in France talking about football with you. And then Marissa coming up with the idea to start the pod that we were all doing off our own bats voluntarily at the very start to only a handful of listeners. And now four years down the track, we are still doing it. We're still loving it. We're still coming up with lots of weird in jokes and and fun things to talk about. And now we've got this amazing community of listeners who have either followed us since the very beginning or they've come on board because of the World Cup or they've just arrived. And just to feel like we are still so connected in that way and that we are still really founded in the stuff that started this podcast in the first place is like it's one of the best and most important things in my whole life so I want to say thank you to all three of you for being part of it my experience of the world cup wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for all of you and all the people listening as well the people who came and identified us in the crowds who came and said hello who took photos with us who chatted to us all those people out there who followed along with the world cup and with our coverage we love all of you we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you as well you made this whole year so much more valuable and so much more uh, important for all of us. So thank you, everyone. Thanks to you as well, Sam. We're very, very lucky to have you on this pod with us and for all the fun adventures that we've had and we'll continue to have. And especially a big thanks to those that came to the live pod. That was (gasps) Yeah, that was so good. A really nice way to to wrap up um, a bittersweet, game-changing, life-changing tournament for all of us. To be able to share that moment, together was really really special um yeah and yeah thanks to the guys at ESPN for backing us in with this stuff as well um yeah I think we're very lucky to do what we do um and yeah we're clearly we're not sick of each other yet because we're still kicking along doing this (laughs) so uh hopefully many more pods to come and even a sneaky live one here or there whenever Sam can come down to Melbourne people that's what you're waiting for (laughs) that's what we're waiting on so no. we've got a beautiful like studio down here now at the ESPN offices. It's just there's a seat waiting for you, you know, like <laughs> it's all here and ready. But yes, so many friends of the pod, amazing. Uh TFP moment of the year when you all came to my small tiny studio accommodation uh post shootout and Angela brought Passion Pop and we all did a oh podcast God, yes. in the same room clink, drinking clink. like you can just hear the clink and we popped the bottle <laughs> on on air yes oh that was so fun and oh, what did we put we put the we had to put the um like put a couple of bowls turned upside yeah. down to put the laptop on <laughs> so yeah. see everyone it was a decorative tissue box and a colander holding my laptop up that was it um that's I've got a photo of that somewhere um but yeah, that was a very special moment because it was like we we so infrequently get to do pods all together in the same room. So the fact that it all kind of panned out and Angela was like, we're all in Sydney. Why don't we just do a pod together? Um, and that ended up being one of the most special pods. And I think it was our most listened to episode of the year as well, which I mean, like, unsurprising. Why wouldn't you all <laughs> want to listen to us going, rah, rah, like, um, which, is, which is what that pod ended up being. But um. That's enough nostalgia juice. (laughs) It was a lot of squawking. Look, that's enough nostalgia juice for today. Um, There will be more nostalgia juice on the line because of who we are as people. But thank you again. We will see you all next week for Dub Pod. But for now, slay us.